The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right. Well, I hope everybody is uh, safe at home and uh, you're just sitting there counting the money that you won at the Breeders' Cup. If you're like me and most of the people I know, you are not doing that. It was a tough two-day grind. I can tell you that. Uh, Nobody I know got too rich. Uh, Picked off a long shot here and there, uh, but uh, for the most part, it was not. It was not a day for a lot of formful horses. And then, of course, uh, we got to the grass racing, and uh, uh, Aiden O'Brien had a field day in one race uh, with the, catching the try. Uh, of course, Bob Baffert caught a couple exactas, and I think we got to see real uh, some superheroes of the uh, of the future. I hope. Also, got announcement on horses that are being shuffled off to stud, and some that uh, will be returning to the races next year and i'm happy to hear about that so uh if if you're all recruit uh regrouped from the breeders cup i want to let you know who will be joining us this evening uh by the time i get done with news of the week and and the breeders cup result probably going to just have time for one guest so who better than the guy that wrote the book that's right Betting on horse racing for dummies, none other than our man in Vegas, Rich Ng, is going to uh, join us. Uh, always a pleasure to have Rich on, as you probably picked up from our conversations in years past. We work together, uh, and um, so it's a, there's a nice comfort zone there with Rich, and I, li- I like his delivery style. Well, let, let's just pick up on some of the odds and ends uh, of the the, the Breeders' Cup. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, one of, one of the great coming out parties, if you want to call about that, this guy's not a secret anymore, but he's only 37 years old. Brad Cox became only the second trainer in Breeders' Cup history to train four winners during a single championship, uh, matching the feat of Richard Mandela, who did it back in 2003. Again, there was only one day of Breeder Cup races back then. Uh, Cox won the final two races on Future Stars Friday with the Irish bred Aunt Pearl in the Juvenile Phillies turf and the TVG Juvenile uh, with Essential Quality, who may have stamped herself as the uh, Eclipse Award winner, now undefeated. Um, over Jackie. That was hard to believe. Um, and then on Saturday, he sent out Nick's go, who was the favorite shattered the track record in the big ass fans dirt mile. And could it be horse of the year? She's certainly story of the year. Monomoy girl, her second victory in the distaff. Her last victory was two years ago. Uh, you may know the whole story about how she was off the racing scene for about 18 months. And uh, in sportsmanlike fashion, the connections decided to race her back, and uh, and they did. Now, let's see. Some other odds and ends. Um, Authentic became the sixth 
Kentucky Derby winner to take the classic. Um, so, uh, obviously people that weren't even interested in racing saw that and he went from flag fall to that's all. Uh, but, uh, He's the fourth horse to do it in the same year. The other three-year-olds to win the Classic are Sunday Silence, that was 89, Unbridled in 90, American Pharaoh in 2015, and Ferdinand, the 86 Derby winner, and Ali Sheba, who was the 87 Derby winner. Those last two came when they were four-year-olds. And, uh, well, no big surprise here. Irad Ortiz Jr. won the third consecutive Bill Shoemaker Award, giving him the most outstanding jockey in the Breeders' Cup World's Championship. Uh, he it just continues to wow everybody. He's a new Yankee doodle dandy for sure. Now, um, though he, uh, you know, uh, won on Golden Pale, uh, Whitmore, finished second on Improbable, third on Sharp Samurai, uh, in the dirt mile. Now, Joel Rosario, Florent Giroux, jo- Johnny V, and the not known to Americans very much, Pierre Charles Boudot, also rode two winners uh, during the day. So, uh, Rosario rode uh, three winners in 2018 uh, when it was held at Churchill Downs, and two last year. He's got some money in the bank and uh, got his wins this year on V-Quist and Next Go. Florent Giroux, uh, who uh, took it uh, on the nose in the uh, uh, the g- grassy uh, sprint when he uh, fell off his mount, was just fine, was able to come back. Uh, his two victories came on Ant Pearl and the great Monomoy girl. Johnny V won the uh, classic on authentic and sprint on potentially horse of the year. I don't know who's going to be a uh, Gamin. And then Boudot, who had never ridden the breeders cup, uh, scored on our Dora in the makers, Mark Philly, Amer turf and the fan dual mile on order of Australia. And the Irish breads did pretty good. And uh, four jockeys won their first Breeders' Cup race. That was Pierre Charles Boudou, uh, Louis Sayez, and Tom Eves, who that was his very first ride in the Breeders' Cup on the turf sprint. And then a guy that was being deputized, of course. We'll be talking later about how COVID has affected racing this season. But a young man by the name of Colin Keane, uh, who won the Longines turf on now a very impressive rate. Now, how about this? Dermot Weld. Everybody knows that name. You know, you hear Aiden O'Brien and you hear Dermot Weld. Well, he had his first uh, Breeders' Cup win. He, he saddled his first Breeders' Cup starters back in 85, but he came through Saturday with his first victory when that Tarnarwa, an Irish bred, uh, won the turf and uh, that was his 17th Breeders' Cup starter. He's got to feel pretty good about being off this, this schneid. Also picking up their first Breeders' Cup victories were Ron Moquette, Kevin Ryan, and James Fanshaw. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about Moquette. He won with Whitmore. Fourth time's a charm, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. This horse shows up every year and is always right there. Seven years old. 
and uh, just uh, Whitmore, he's like Rocky, man. He just keeps coming back. And then Ryan won the turf sprint, and Fawshaw won with his first Breeders' Cup starter, or Diara. I'm sure I'm ruining some of the pronunciations here. Now, uh, if you're a big favorite better, well, you only had five favorites that won over the weekend. Uh, they del- delivered victories from 14 championship races in 2020. The winning favorites were Golden Pal. Yeah, big deal, John. You picked him on the show last week. Aunt Pearl, another big deal. Picked it on the show last week. Gamine, who I bet against. And uh, Nick's Go and Matamoy Girl. Looked like it was going to be a match race between her and Swiss Skydiver. We'll get into that a little bit more uh, in the show. Uh, the highest price winner of the weekend was Order of Australia. In the FanDuel Mile, 148.40. So um, the the wins were uh, dominated by the uh, Kentucky and European-based uh, runners uh, this year. And so uh, the champion jockeys over the years, um, Mike Smith, $36 million plus, um, and then uh, Mike also leads all jockeys with wins with 26. Johnny V is second with 18. So uh, those guys are still actively competing. We'll find out. And uh, top wins by trainers. Well, that would be none other than D. Wayne Lucas with 20 wins. Bob Baffert, 17. Chad Brown, 15. Aiden O'Brien, 13. Todd Pletcher, Pletcher 11. And Shug McGahey, nine. Bill Mott, nine. Richard Mandela, Sir Michael Stute. What's interesting about all those trainers I just named that have lead the wins in the Breeders' Cup is the fact that they are all still actively training. Uh, Very interesting. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's... uh, these guys are steady, and I expect to see them back again. So next year, if you're in anticipation, the 38th Breeders' Cup is going to be held at Del Mar. And then in 2022, getting easier to say, isn't it? Not really. Um, it'll be uh, held back at Keeneland. I thought that that was great that the – Breeders' Cup understand the economic impact that these races have on a local community. And the fact that they realized that Keeneland was denied that opportunity, uh, they couldn't fill the stands, though it looked like there was about 6,000 people there. Um, they What it did to the Lexington area uh, was devastating as far as hotel, restaurant, and other amenities. So uh, I'm glad that they're coming back in two years. Well, after that wire-to-wire win, Authentic is retired. He's going to stand for 75000 at Spendthrift. So sad to say, another great three-year-old. We're not going to get to see race at four. Of course, he's going to be joining his sire into mischief who had several breeders cup winners. Uh, and, uh, but what can I say? You got a Kentucky Derby winner. I think it paid over $10. P- 
people were asking me, John, how's the Derby winner pay that much? And I said, well, you had to look at the competition. Well, it was a three-year-old, you know, uh, and uh, he was racing against uh, the best in the world. But uh, it was wire to wire, and there was no doubt about it. Uh, Turner for home, he was totally in there. But you had to play the speed bias, which is why I did. Now, also in that race was Maximum Security, who was earlier in the year was lauded as the next super horse uh, until the uh, service situation came along. Uh, that's Jason's service, if I have it right this time. Um, he has been retired from racing. And he'll be at Ashford Stud, where uh, he'll be standing. Uh, but uh, he's only standing for $20,000. I wonder how much of that controversy cost him that, because he's a horse that I believe has won over $12 million. Don't have my FSPPs in front of me right now. But, you know, he, he, he uh, what, what could I say? He's going to be... Uh, Going to be standing for for twenty thousand now. War of Will, who won the Preakness last season, he's going to stand for twenty five thousand uh, at his first season at Stud, and that will be at Claiborne Farm, where he will join his sire, none other than a Warfront. Now, on retirees, Sarah Genty Empress is going to be retired, and she's going to be bred to who else? Into mischief in 2021. So uh, they they've got a little bit of money. She won 2.1 million dollars. Ran a game race on Breeders' Cup Day, but uh, just uh, you know, could couldn't hold hold off. Just an amazing um, abundance of natural speed, and uh, you know the winner of the Kentucky Oaks. I don't know much more she's got to do. So. Uh, 2.1 million. She's going to go to, uh, the big guy for $225,000. That'll be an interesting full. Now, Swiss skydiver. We were all really hyped up to see the match race between her and Monomoy girl. As soon as the gates open, that proposition was deleted. Uh, Preakness Stakes winner Skydiver, who fought so gamely against Authentic in that race, <clears throat> uh, finished uh, uh, seventh. But you've got to find, see the things that Kenny McPeak is posting uh, as far as photos are concerned. If you saw her stumble out of the gate, uh, she obviously grabbed herself because he, he shows that uh, the, the the Nixon bruises uh, that they thought were minor that they were actually worse than they, they originally thought. <clears throat> so after the stumble of the start, they looked at it and, you know, you could just see his pastern that showed areas where skin and hair had been scraped off when she probably struggled coming out of the gate. So good news is that after some downtime at uh, his Magdalena farm, she's going back and training folks. So we're going to get to see Swiss skydiver compete again. Somebody else that's going to compete again is Tis the Law. And uh, Barkley Tag was less than pleased um, to the, uh, the ride that Manny Franco gave him. Normally, Tis the Law is right there. He's usually laying at about second and then pounces on his opposition. He took him back to sixth. Didn't quite understand that on a day when speed was holding. And... Uh, 
So all I could say is now he's got the opportunity to secure a Hall of Fame rider for the Pegasus, and it looks like Johnny Velasquez uh, will be the new rider for Tis the Law. So I'm sorry for Manny Franco, but having Johnny V in the saddle is not too bad. So Sacatoga Stable and Barkley were gracious, thanking uh, uh, Manny. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it looked like uh, we're going to have a change. But the great news is we're going to get to see him race again. And uh, when I was talking about Florent Giroux coming off at the start, that was Starship Jubilee. Um, what what a career this horse has had. He's been, she has been officially retired from racing. She's seven years old, a daughter of Ohio Stallion Indy Wind. Uh, stumbled at the start, threw Jaru to the ground. He actually had the, uh, the, the rider cam on. And... Uh, so you can, they went back and showed that, uh, you saw, but he stumbled, he got, he bounced right back up. Luckily they caught starship Jubilee safely. And, uh, well, what a story. I mean, um, a $16,000 claim and she has now won over $2 million. Uh, what, what, what a career, uh, really excelled, uh, up, up in Woodbine. Um, so, uh, Starship Jubilee, she won't be, uh, uh, at the races anymore. It'll be interesting to see who she goes to. Well, uh, good news. As we mentioned, Johnny V that, uh, he got jockey of the week honors. Uh, of course, uh, winning the Breeders' Cup Classic sure can help, but, uh, he had two Breeders' Cup victories, uh, including the uh, the Breeders' Cup and Mayor Sprint uh, and the Classic. It was the first Classic win for Johnny V. Kind of surprised a lot of people. He's 48 years old now. He's still riding great. Looks a little more selective about some of his mounts. But uh, nonetheless, it was the 18th Breeders' Cup victory for Velasquez. So... Uh, Hey, that and, uh, you know, I mean, the ride on Gamine was just uh, unbelievable. That is some there. So Velasquez, leading money earning jockey for the week with $3.7 million. So it uh, looks like we're going to go straight through to the bottom of the hour. So let's go back and look at the, uh, the Breeders' Cup results. I'll run them from the end to the beginning. Um so we don't miss the, the biggest races on Saturday. New track record in the Longines Breeders' Cup Classic with Authentic. Uh, just got loose on the lead. And again, it was a, a three-year-old beating the older horses. So Authentic uh, finishes the career with eight starts, six victories, and two seconds um, for... I, haven't done the math yet, but had three million going into the race, and I won a six million dollar race. Somebody do that for me. Anybody that knows me knows math isn't my best. Baffert gets the exacta, authentic and improbable runs second, and uh, in the third spot was Global Campaign, uh, who was bumped and bothered early, even though uh, he's got speed. And uh, we'll see. They're talking about Global Campaign. Uh, coming back um, 
as a five-year-old to run in the Pegasus Stakes. So that was the granddaddy of them all. The race preceding that was the Breeders' Cup Turf. Magical was favored, but what a race by Tarnawa, who uh, was the first Breeders' Cup win for Dermot Weld, as we stated earlier. Uh, again, uh, Christophe Somillon uh, is under COVID protocol, so he, in fact, uh, was not able to make the trip, so he had to have a couple uh, uh, people uh, deputized for him. And uh, in, in doing so, a young man by the name of Colin Keene got the job done in the Breeders' Cup turf over the slight favorite, Magical, uh, who was second by one and a quarter, over a... Uh, Another your now the, those two were Irish breds and then Channel Maker who is a can, Canadian bred um, finished third he had the lead just lost second by a nose but uh, that was a just a really exciting race and uh, this four year old filly it was her first career win over male she was next to last in the stretch and this kid colin keen uh g gets uh, gets her up all right so then we go to the breeders cup distaff the much awaited race between swiss skydiver and monomoy girl i told you what happened at the start so it was monomoy girl who just thrilled everyone another one of brad cox's winners she's undefeated at keeneland now and uh, this race worth $2 million. Of course, she's the great uh, story. Uh, stopped racing to have surgery in November of 2018 after winning this race. And takes uh, two years off and comes back. And uh, under regular rider Florent Giroux gets the job done as the even money favorite. Just swept around. Could she be horse of the year? I don't know. Well, finishing second behind her was Valiance, and in the third spot was Dunbar Road. Anthony Big Ace Stabile's long shot pick for us at twenty-five to one. Then we uh, had already witnessed the Breeders' Cup Mile. This, as we noticed last week, was a tough race, and this one. Well, <laughs> my mother would have had this. The Irish. Aiden O'Brien hit the trifecta, one, two, three, and it was pretty uh, amazing. We had uh, uh, the 50-cent 50, 50 try in here paid $4,393. In the second spot was Circus Maximus. At eleven to one, and in the third spot at eighteen to one was uh, Lupe Fernandez. But the winner was one that drew in from the also eligible list, Order of Australia. So uh, that's how he got he got the winner in there, who paid one hundred forty eight dollars and forty cents congratulations to all you irishmen out there that boxed aiden o'brien all right then on to the breeders cup sprint and uh 
Uh, the, the winner in here was Whitmore. <laughs> I mentioned him earlier. Is the Rocky Four was the addition. Paid thirty-eight eighty. Four times a charm. What a horse! Seven years old. I read Ortiz in the saddle. Eighteen to one. Ron Moquette, his first win. Uh, he was very. Uh, uh, he teared up after the race. It was. It was a, a thing of beauty. Uh, CZ Rocket got the second spot, and Ferenz Fire ran third. <laughs> now, um, this uh, may have been an, a track record, if not for Nashville, who won the Perrytown uh, as the first race. That wasn't even a Breeders' Cup race in 107.89. He is a Steve Asmussen trainee you're going to hear a lot from in the future all right in a three horse photo it was the philly and mare turf and getting the top spot was audra who was that pickup mount uh for pierre charles and uh just a perfectly timed trip first lasix for this horse uh again first winner for james fanshaw this horse has been racing in france uh, in, in the second spot was the favorite, Rushing Fall. So put in a game effort, but couldn't quite get her done. And then in the big-ass fans, Breeders' Cup, Dirt Mile, it was Nick's go, wire-to-wire, wire, Brad Cox. Uh, he's a four-year-old son of Painter. It'll be interesting to see if uh, they keep him in training. I sure hope so. In the second spot was Jesus's team at 60 to 1. I know all my friends from the Catholic nuns would have had that one. Uh, third was Sharp Samurai. Then moving on to the Breeders' Cup sprint. The favorite was Leinster. Couldn't quite get the job done. Ran third. The winner from England, Glass Slippers, a perfectly timed ride by Tom Eaves getting his Breeders' Cup. This horse was 10th on the backstretch and got the job done. Glass Slippers in the second spot was Wet Your Whistle, and third was the favorite, Leanster. All right, well, that pretty much uh, brings us to the first Breeders' Cup race of Saturday, and that winner... As we said, this could be horse of the year. Gamine, unbelievable, set a new track record for seven furlongs. Bob Baffert, trainee, three-year-old, beating her elders, getting the job done under Johnny V. The second spot, Sarah Genty, Empress, game horse. I'm going to miss her next year. And third was Bell's the one. Now let's get to Friday's action as quick as we can. It was the juvenile, and we could have an Eclipse Award winner here, Essential Quality. Of course, you know, everybody uh, was all talking up Jackie's Warrior, who was the four to five favorite. Had a brief lead, but got tired. An Essential Quality, a, a gray son of Tappet, was the winner in there. We're going to have to watch for him down the road. He bested 94 to one shot. Hot shot, Charlie. Then in the juvenile Phillies turf, it was Aunt Pearl, trained by Brad Cox. Wire to wire, an easy win over Mother Earth. And uh, so that was the juvenile Phillies turf. And then uh, 
to move on to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. V-Quist turned the tables on Day Out of the Office, who led most of the way. Day Out of the Office, as hard as uh, she tried, uh, Bayquist, it was her turn, kick clear at 6-1. to one. Day Out of the Office, in a three-way photo, got the nod over Girl Daddy. Uh, then we uh, moved on. Uh, to the juvenile turf and the winner in there fire at will 30 to one Mike maker with a declaration of war gets the job done over the favorite battleground and Aiden O'Brien trainee. And uh, just previous to that was the juvenile turf sprint and at four to five from the far outside, Everybody must have had this horse because I know Ed Meyer and I picked him. Golden Pale, Wesley Ward with a two-year-old on the grass. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Got the job done. We'll see if this one heads uh, back over to Ascot later in the year. So uh, Wesley Ward gets the job done. Congratulations to him. Great guy. Second was 11-1 shot Cowan. And third was... You gotta believe it, an Irish bread at 26 to 1. Well, I hope you had luck. I hope uh, you had some of those horses we named at the top. And uh, hope we're gonna take a little bit of a break here. And when we come back, it's our man from Las Vegas, Riching's gonna be joining us. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll free. 1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with me, one of our most popular handicappers on Winning Ponies, from Las Vegas, you can get a hold of him on Twitter at 
capital R-I-C-H, Rich, capital E-N-G, the number four, capital P, and then R-O, and then a capital P-I-C-K, at Rich Ng for Pro Pick. Uh, he's also on Facebook, and you can get him at www.racedaylasvegas. Welcome to the Winning Ponies Airwaves again, Rich Ng. How are you? Hey, always a pleasure, John. And uh, it was a, a long week, a long weekend last week. Uh, I did two big seminars here in Vegas, uh, one at Sunset Station, uh, one at the South Point that kept me hopping. And then, uh, you know, the Friday and Saturday were chock full of action. I I hope a lot of your listeners did better than I did in the long run. There was uh, there were some high points and some low points, but the, uh, it, was a, it was a tough nut still, uh, nonetheless. It was. Well, Rich, just before we, we, we got out of commercial break, you were telling me about an article you had penned previous to the Breeders' Cup. Finish that story for me, will you? Yeah, I, uh, I freelance for uh, a sports publication, a gaming publication called Gaming Today, and it's, it's actually been uh, around for a long, long time. It was started by a fellow named Chuck DeRocco, who may be someone you might have run across in, in your past, uh, John, but uh, he used to be in the Kentucky area and then he moved out here to Vegas. But anyway, so I wrote a column uh, based on seven price plays that I, I called them my Magnificent Seven to play on either Friday or Saturday. And actually four of them ran <clears throat> very well. I, I had uh, V-Quist was on the list. Uh, that was the winner of the uh, Juvenile Phillies. I had uh, the uh, Philly that won the uh, turf, uh, uh, Tarnawa. I had her on yeah. my list, and then I had two long shots that ran third at good prices. One was Di- Digital Age, and the other one was a Global Campaign. So, actually, that performance was was pretty good of those seven horses to run like that. Yeah, yeah, they were they were pretty good odds for sure. Well, Rich, you're a guy I respect very much. You look at the sport globally, as you know, more often than not. When I call you, it's to get your perspective. Uh, on West Coast races, because uh, I think, you know, that's probably one of the things you concentrate on the most. But right mm-hmm. now, I'd like to just take a deep breath, and I want you to kind of take you back to this crazy year of, of 2020. And let, let, let's start out with the positive and negative effects of COVID. First question for you, what was COVID's uh, impact for a place like Las Vegas? Well, it really, really hurt this town uh, immensely uh, because uh, Governor Sisolak, our Governor Steve Sisolak, he had to shut the casino industry down in Nevada. I believe it was March 17th, John. It was right around the middle of March. But literally every casino, every hotel in Nevada was shut down. And that went on for uh, well into uh, the rest of March, April, May. And I believe we started to kick back up in uh, June and uh, wow. finally uh, started getting some people back in there. And uh, it was, it's still pretty rough right now. Uh, I, I know the local hotels uh, like the stations, casino, Boyd gaming, South point, uh, they're doing pretty well because the locals are, you know, we're going stir crazy. So they're, they're heading out, but uh, <laughs> a soft spot is definitely on the strip because that is based upon tourism from out of state. And, um, you know, our, our country, not just the Nevada, our country is not back to a hundred percent or even close to a hundred percent. So until, you know, there's a vaccine, until people feel safe traveling, until the um, uh, people get employed again and back to work in normal jobs and stuff like that, um, 
Las Vegas is actually going to be last on the the rebound because you know the rest of the dog has to to be fed first. We're kind of the tail because uh, we're based upon disposable income, so people have to feel you know good about their jobs, about traveling, about paying their bills, and then they think about coming to Vegas. So it, it's still right. going to be a while, John. Well, uh, now. If there was one positive thing that came out of this uh, terrible pandemic, um, it's the fact that we've had more racing exposure on television than ever before in our history. That's a fact. (laughs) You know, the fact that uh, there was gambling on horses, even during the downtime that, that Vegas was shut down in March, there were still places like Will Rogers Downs and Fonner Park were, you know, picking up the mantle. And, you know, who, who would have thought that uh, they would be having multi-million dollar handle days at places <laughs> like that. But, you know, they, they really carried the banner for the sport very proudly. I really, uh, really give them a lot of kudos to putting out a good show with the Will Rogers Downs and Fonner Park. And eventually when we had the casinos open up, you know, horse racing, was uh, ready to go and, and we had signals coming in. And so uh, it was the first sport that was uh, bet on. I remember I sent out a tweet, a picture that uh, got a lot of reaction, but I was in the, the Green Valley Ranch racing sports book and I took a, a long shot and every screen, every monitor, this was in the middle of the day, was on horse racing. And usually, you know, there'll be other sports like, you know, baseball, sure. football, basketball, hockey. Everything was horse racing because we were the only sport that was going on at the time. Right, right. So I, I, I've got to admit that was. I mean, I'm not sure where you are. I'm a, in the Eastern Time Zone, but Fox Sports One or Two, they switched off and on. Um, they pretty much showed uh, Saratoga and Belmont uh, mm-hmm. Thurs- Thursday through Sunday. Uh, and it was just amazing that you could watch it, you know, cause not everybody has TVG, but a lot of people got Fox sports and, and then of course, TVG, you know, they were, they, they really seemed to amp up their game and rich, what I noticed and tell me if you notice this too, is that, um, they spoke in a manner that the guys in us already know, but it seemed to me like they were taking it as a teaching moment and they, that they use terms and expressions that, that were more that telling people like what an exacta was, what a superfecta was, how post position impacts the difference between turf and dirt. And I thought that that was sensational to get a little bit of education in there for the novices that might be tuning into racing. I would agree with you because, uh, you know, the cast of uh, talent that they have, you know, that Richard Migliori who was, you know, I, I've known Richie for a long time, back to my New York days. He is very well spoken about, uh, you know, the art and skills of being a jockey, and and he's a pretty good handicapper. You know, you got guys like uh, Andy Serling and uh, Jonathan Kinchin, who I think do a, a superb job explaining horse racing. A lot of it, the way you just mentioned, not just talking above people, but actually explaining things about the wagering process and about the handicapping process. I think, I think they really. Uh, scale it down so that they talk in, in layman terms so that people can understand. Uh, you, you have the, the two gals, Acacia Courtney and the, um, I forgot Maggie uh, Wolfendale. They do a fantastic yeah. job. I mean, when they, when they look at horses, they see things that I can't because I'm, I'm kind of a, a numbnut when it comes to the physicality of a racehorse. But they tell me stuff that teaches me. 
So, you know, all around, they, they do a fantastic work, uh, the entire staff. I hope I didn't leave anybody out, but uh, good stuff, good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall, though, I, I applaud them. I really do. All right, uh, Rich Eng, um, what, what did you think about the effect on the order of the Triple Crown? Well, I tell you what, uh, I hope we never have to go through this again because the order got all jumbled. But I think the most obvious thing was that, you know, the horsemen were getting their horses ready for the Kentucky Derby for the first Saturday in May. And obviously things didn't uh, didn't go well. And so a lot of those horses that were ready to go in the spring, all of a sudden, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it, it's hard to... It's hard to keep a horse healthy for 12 months. It really is. And so what happened is when we started getting the, the races out of order, the Belmont then the Derby and then the Preakness, we actually had a, a new cast of characters in a lot of cases because we had late bloomers, horses that, you know, would not have been ready to run in May and June. All of a sudden they were ready to run in the later races. And so, um, you know, in, in a way it, it benefited them and, It'll be interesting to see how it affects these horses going into their four-year-old season. Knock on wood, I hope most of them come back and run as four-year-olds. I know we're going to lose some, but uh, you know the development of, of these horses, it'll be interesting to see how it affects some of them coming into their four-year-old year. Well, I was very glad to see, it was about a week ago, that Churchill Downs announced that the Derby would return to the first Saturday in May, because I Mm -hmm. really think we need to bring some semblance of order back to the Triple Crown. Of course, you expected this, I expected this, we had all kinds of people coming out of the woodwork going, see, those three-year-olds shouldn't be racing that early in the year, (laughs) you know. And uh, so we've got to change everything right now. And uh, I, I say you don't, you don't change 145 or 150 years of tradition. The reason those horses are triple crown winners are because they did it within a seven-week span. And it's something that you have to be a very, very special horse to, to be able to accomplish something like that. And, you know, to, to go back on your prior point, uh, you know, about having to, to change things around, there's no question that uh, some of the ball sports and, and the hockey pucks, they had to change things around radically to get a championship season in and playoffs underway with the, the NHL and the NBA where basically they put the teams and the players in a bubble to try to protect them from the coronavirus. And they all played basically in the same uh, arena, same town. And it was really something to see. Uh, you know, we, we watched it closely here from Vegas because we have a team called the Vegas Golden Knights that almost made the Stanley Cup Finals again. But, um, you know, those two sports had to adapt, and so did horse racing. So everybody had to adapt to, just to these unusual circumstances. All right, Rich Eng, uh, you know, handicapper for the Las Vegas Review. Um, how about the impact that the whole Jason Service maximum security debacle had on the game well you know one thing that happened was because of the uh, coronavirus and the and uh, the sport basically stopping it actually took a lot of the focus away from those guys people actually stopped talking about them for a while and you know but that doesn't make it good and that doesn't make it bad because that's still something that is out there and that is a if if they are guilty that certainly is a stain on our sport but it also is hopefully a, a learning moment, a teaching moment where, you know, we, we can police ourselves and try to do things the right way. And, 
you know, if, if those guys were guilty of what they've been alleged or accused of, then they should be punished. And uh, so we'll see what happens there. But, uh, you know, we'll give them their due process. I'm not, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus at this time. We'll give them their due process. and We'll see what happens with that. I'm just thinking, Rich, about the impact it had on people's perception of the horse. Because when he was transferred to Bob Baffert, he, he, he in a very tough-fought race over midcourt and higher power, um, got, got the nose win on his return you know, from February to July, um, and wins by a nose, then comes back and wins the mile and a quarter Pacific classic by three. And, uh, just w- wasn't his day on, uh, awesome again stakes where he was beaten by his own stable mate and probable. And, uh, he just, uh, kind of fell flat. Uh, uh, but big, big picture, rich, when you talk about impressions and, um, that this horse, Maximum Security, won about $10 million more than Authentic. Authentic's retiring to a $75,000 stud fee. Maximum Security is retiring to a 20000 stud fee. Oh, that's a bargain. I, I did not know uh, 20000 I'd tell you what, if I had a broodmare, I wouldn't hesitate going to Maximum Security at that price. But, the, you know, some of those service horses, uh, you know, Forenzi Fire and Maximum Security, they ran some good races, and they ran races that were uh, speed figure-wise as good as as well as they, they ran for Jason Service. But, you know, I, I think those two horses, just using them as an example, John, they fit in a category where they were in training for a long, long time, and I think they just both tailed off at the end of the season. It, it's hard to keep a horse healthy and happy and at the top wrong for 12 months. I like to say horses are only human only because horses are just like us. We're made out of flesh and blood and we have good days and we have bad days. And, you know, sometimes we don't feel like running. Sometimes we do. But, you know, it is amazing when you look at the stats, maximum security ran, uh, since, uh, January 24th of 2019 ran 10, 100 plus consecutive buyer speed figures authentic in his career has only uh raced four 100 plus buyer figures and when i see the disparity between their uh their stud feet on the other hand authentics by into mischief what an amazing breed changing stallion he has turned out to be yeah, he uh, he was kind of in the middle of the, the road, middle of the pack, but he started throwing so many winners, so many stakes winners that uh, I'm, I'm sure his fee got jacked up a lot. I don't know what it is now, but he, he really made the name for himself. And I, I think there's a category where, um, you know, sometimes stallions, if they don't show, you know, superstar status in the first, second, third crops, all of a sudden the breeders give up on them. And we've seen too many of these horses like go to, you know, uh, other countries, especially like Japan, and all of a sudden they become superstars. I, I think of Sunday Silence in particular. But you know, you got to have patience with some of these horses. I, I, you know, it's, it's uh, you breed the best of the best and hope for the best, and, and sometimes it just takes a while for some of these stallions to really, really hit their stride. Okay, um, I, I wanted to uh, just just ask you off the top of your head. Um, yeah. What was the impact that 
j- just the feeling that spectator free racing brought to Rajang. Uh, didn't didn't it take a while to adapt to it? I mean, it was like Twilight Zone for a while. Well, I remember going back in my other lifetime when I was in racetrack publicity and marketing, and I was going to the University of Arizona Racetrack Symposium on a yearly basis in December, and I, yeah. I had a few beers with you more than once <laughs> at some of those events, John. We had some fun. But uh, one thing I remember was one of the seminars, and maybe you remember it too, but, but they were talking about the sport becoming a theater of racing. And, you know, it, 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 who would have thought that, you know, this conversation going back into the, you know, maybe the uh, late uh, 1980s into the early 1990s, all of a sudden we'd, in 2020 we'd see, uh, you know, 2021 we'd see something like that actually happening. But the, the thing about our sport is it actually is, adaptable, you know, to something like that. You hate to see it because I think the excitement of the participants, the horses, the jockeys, the trainers, the owners, I think they love having fans in the stands. And as far as the spectator sport, it's as you know wonderful as can be to actually go to the racetrack and see the horses up close. But, you know, in the business sense, we were able to continue. Um, I, I know there is a big question mark out there too, John. I'm sure you, you've talked about this maybe on other shows, but, you know, in the simulcast world, uh, a dollar bet on track is weighted differently than a dollar bet off track. So there are right. some repercussions that have to be kind of ironed out if the handle is going to go more off track than on track. Absolutely. Well, um, let, let's uh, talk to you now about uh, some of the things that you saw on Friday and Saturday. Um, I, I I really think that uh, two of the headlines for me, too, you know, as a turf writer, uh, freelance now, um, that great stories come out of uh, horses like Monomoy Girl and Gamine and actually Brad Cox. I mean, well, what were some of your favorite, uh, you know, takeaways from the day? Uh, the, those are the ones that come straight to my mind. Well, I, I think I'll start off with the uh, the first race that was run on Saturday. The the most impressive <laughs> performance might have been a non-Breeders' Cup race was watching Nashville win the Perryville. Holy moly, that, that is a quite a racehorse. And, uh, you know, there's some people were uh, – debating, uh, I won't say arguing, but certainly talking about the fact that maybe if he had run in the Breeders' Cup sprint, he might have been able to win that, and we'll never know. It's a hypothetical, but he was so impressive. So that's a horse I'm I'm definitely looking forward to to running next year. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, Gamine, oh, gee, she's a daughter of Into Mischief. How about that? What's interesting is... is (laughs) Bob Baffert, in I believe fifteen tries, had never won the uh, Breeders' Cup Philly Mare Sprint. But this this Gamine, I guess he, you might have to call her the fastest uh, Philly in the land right now. She's, she's only a three year old. Uh, she did get beat at a mile and an eighth, but it happened to be a little race called the Kentucky Oaks, uh, which was a very very tough field. And so he winds her back down, finds seven furlongs. And, uh, man, she was just, uh, you know, something else. Now, Saraganti Empress, let's face it, a very formidable foe, uh, has just unbelievable natural speed. Um, and, uh, you know, Bell's the one was in there, but Gamine proved that, 
okay, maybe a mile and eighth is in my game, but mirror, mirror on the wall, I'm the fastest of them all. Well, you know, we've seen plenty of horses who, you know, try to go around two turns, and it just turns out that is not their best distance. I mean, they, I'm sure she can win, still win at two turns under the right circumstances, but, you know, maybe sprints, maybe elongated sprints, or at least one-turn races. I, I know at some track configurations you can do a one-turn mile. Maybe that's what she's best suited for. And uh, I, I actually would segue into the – I was talking about Nashville with the sprint. I'm sure a horse who was happy that Nashville didn't run in the sprint was Whitmore because there's an example of a horse who they tried to run her, run him long, and he was on the derby trail, but then he found out, well, he'd prefer to, to run in one-turn races and sprints. And I guess he had tried the Breeders' Cup sprint. It was it was like four years in a row, and he, he finally yeah. got the brass ring. And Great story. <laughs> great. Ron Maquette, fantastic to, to keep this horse sharp and in training for all these years, and that's a great story right there. Yeah, I mean, to, to see Ron tearing up uh, during the interview after the race, I mean, I, I just thought that was beautiful. It's kind of like, you know, this is what the game's all about. Mm-hmm. It, we mm-hmm. all know that he's a very good trainer, but you don't see his name mixed in with the big boys. And for him to all of a sudden, through his patience and, and handling of this horse, seven years old, you know, that'd be like you or me running in one of these races, you know, in, 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 in horse years. And uh, I, I think it's just it's a fantastic story. Of course, he's a gelding. So at this point, uh, for the rest of his life, that's all he can do is run. So I, I hope he stays healthy and, and happy and, and, and does well. Well, Rich, you got about two minutes. Tell me some stories. Tell me what else you liked or didn't like about the Breeders' Cup. Well, I, I tell you what, one of my high points was going back to VQuest because you know I, I heard you just before I came on talking about turning the table. I, I was and, a day out of the office, man. Because, <laughs> you know, a handicapping, uh, a small handicapping lesson is when horses come out of the same race, whether it's a, a stakes race or a optional claiming or even a claiming race, whatever, there's a tendency that to always overbet the horse who finished in front of the others, whether it's a one, two, three horses behind. But when horses come out of the same race, and a lot of times the horses that finish behind can, something happens, whether it's a, a change of racing luck, you know, just a, whatever the pace of the race, you know, certain things can happen where they can ter- literally turn the tables and you can get great prices on horses who, who lost the, you know, a favorite and then turn around and right back and beat them. But Vquist, fit that category perfect for me. I really saw her with a great opportunity to, to win at a price because she was favored, I believe, in the Frisette, and all of a sudden she's going off at like 7-1. to one. I mean, that's that, that was a handicapping lesson right there for all of us. Yeah, and uh, quite frankly, I think uh, the, the sire Nyquist is one we're going to have to watch. I think he's going to he's gonna be making headlines over the next couple of years just from what we've seen of, of his first crop. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a weird day. A spectator free? I don't know what TV you were watching, but I saw about six thousand people there. So, uh, you know, again, you know, you do it in Lexington, Kentucky. There's a lot of connections that somehow or the other be able to find their way, 
you know, I used to own the mayor. I used to own the broodmare sire, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm one of the the million people that are in myracehorse.com. You know, I, I need to get in here, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it's been strange. Well, listen, my producer's telling me I got to shut this baby down. So, uh, Rich Ng, thank you very much once again for joining me. Uh, say hi to the Mrs. Sandy. Say hi to our, uh, our good friend Ralph Sirocco if you see him for me. And I wish you nothing but the best and always thank you for being on the show. Yeah, and if I don't talk to you before, and the, the same with all your listeners, uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. It's right around the corner, and uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. We do. We'll have a small one, but we'll have one. All right, Rich Ng from Las Vegas. I gave you at the top of the show the ways to get a hold of him. I want to thank my producer, Josh, by gosh. I want to thank you all for listening to Winning Ponies. Share this program with your friends. For Winning Ponies, I'm John Engelhart. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.